Hey, what's up? It's McBreezy here from Classrooms in Compton, bringing you another podcast episode straight from a classroom in Compton. Today's topic is going to be assessment. You know, something we don't talk enough about in education, said no one ever. So my experience points me toward the building blocks of becoming a proficient teacher which would be the process of measurement. And I know a lot of podcasts and even mine in the future will be related to like learning loss and re-engaging students in our classrooms and in learning activities on campus. But I have to say that it's a great time to pause and reflect as a teacher and think about what is really going on inside your class walls. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it ugly? And how do we know if it is and how do we fix it? So first I got to make the argument. You know, unfortunately, we have linked the word assessment or measurement to a word that incites rage among teachers. That word is testing. You know, there's many forms of testing of measurement that teachers should participate in regularly with our students and with ourselves. We should actively seek to participate in measuring ourselves at least to the same degree we hold our students, like a benchmark or two, a few formative checks, and at least one summative evaluation. A profession that focuses much of their time on measuring how well groups can regurgitate their thoughts and opinions then dares to balk at the slightest hint that they will also be measured. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? I mean, if it's good enough for me to develop various ways in which students can prove their proficiency, it should be equally good enough for teachers and administrators to develop various means by which we measure the proficiency of a teacher and our administrators. It is with chutzpah that you give a standard test to all of your students, then refuse to be measured by one yourself. I mean, that hypocrisy is stifling. I agree that teaching is a unique art form. I call it magic. It's carried to fruition by each educator's personalized brushstrokes. Let me be clear by using an example from outside of teaching. If educating were like dancing, I would say that my colleagues and I are all performing in the variety of tap. But we each choose a different song, a different costume, a different combination of moves. If we all performed our dances in the talent show, we would be judged for our individual routine that was watched carefully by the judges. Just like that, as classroom educators do our dance, we should invite the talent show judges to come and watch our performance. What is the point of putting on a dance if no one sees it? We should be in the practice of seeking out feedback so that we can refine our moves and so we can get better. But we don't. And because that's modeled behavior, neither do our students. Which leads to the lesson.
captured in that hypocrisy. I know there are teachers in wolves clothing out there giving not only standardized tests, but are giving the same ones they gave the last 15 years or more. Case in point, my daughter was in AP English and she had the same teacher that my older sister had had when my older sister was in high school. Now I can't prove it, but those assignments that she brought home looked exactly the same as when I was in school. And I hope that this is a rare instance. Although I've come to find out it's not as rare as I'd like to believe. Now, I hear you teachers saying, but McBreezy, we all don't fit in a box. We're all not the same. You're right, because people are not standard, just like our students are not. There is no measurement across the board that's going to take into consideration all of our nuances, our experiences, our unique characteristics that make us, us. Therefore, we cannot keep shoving our students into these archaic boxes that we ourselves are fighting from being put into. We have to differentiate instruction and assessment if we truly want to see what each of our students is capable of. And a great way to try that is by differentiating instruction and assessment for teachers. I support the use of observation and data as a tool for teacher reflection. I'm not proposing that teachers are held accountable based on one data point, just like I believe our students should not be held to a single measure. However, to develop the correct methods and mixture of evidence and analysis, someone is going to have to be brave enough to be the test dummy. In fact, many someones are needed to pilot programs, to be the subject of PLC conversations, to find a harmony between high stakes testing that we force upon our students and the lackadaisical nature of teachers that created their lessons, their tests, and their wardrobes 15 years before Wi-Fi. It's my experience that often the new teachers on the team or to the profession are the ones that volunteer and courageously step up to receive season feedback. However, I do not believe they are the only ones who need feedback. Just because you've been doing something for 15 years doesn't mean it's still the best thing to be doing. I know that I've been that person who stepped up on more than one occasion. Eagerly seeking to advance my teaching, I have guided the speculative eyes of my colleagues to peruse my body of work. I've invited them into my class. I've even pointed to areas that I want to personally grow in so they can pay special attention to those things. That does put me in control of the assessment. Now, colleagues of teaching past, on the other hand, they have a seemingly different view than the naive new teacher. Most of which is they think they know it all. And I want to say that, again, the same is true to either audience, the new teacher or the new to us student. 
We can make a student's day with the right comment or perfectly timed smile and nod. Or we can massacre the tiny bit of success they may have felt and really turn them against education or at least our subject. Equally, our colleague professionals can guide, mold, and refocus a budding teacher into an education giant. Or they can wipe hope from their hearts and knock them back past their undergraduate studies. Which teacher are you? Do we seek out ways to build each other up? Or are we slowly eroding the foundation by which some of our colleagues stand? At the very least, if we do not accept the behavior or performance from our students, why do we allow and silently encourage them in ourselves and with our colleagues? We are the model. We set the model behavior for our students and oftentimes on a campus, what you'll see in student behavior is really close to teacher behavior. Whether it's getting out of class early, you'll see teachers leaving class early. Disrespecting each other, you see students disrespecting each other. Many of the things that teachers do, we see our students do. My goal this year is to be brave enough to dance ballet to 90s hip hop and invite a monumental audience of experts to applaud my initiative. It's the only way I can get better. Because if I only know what goes on in my classroom, how do I know if what's going on in there is good or bad? The only way I can do that is to get into other classrooms to watch my colleagues and invite my colleagues into my room. One of the easiest ways to get started on this is just opening your door. Open your door. What is the next step? Invite members from your PLC to stop by. And like I said, if you need some control over that observation, point out areas of growth you've identified you want them to look at. That way they know where to focus their attention while they're observing, which also cuts down on the observation time necessary. Instead of a PLC team needing to be in my room for 20 minutes, they can be in there for five and they can see and assess that part of the lesson that I've asked them to focus on. We have to be brave. We have to be bold and we have to have the courage to ask other people to come and see if what we're doing, the work that we are doing in our rooms is good, bad, ugly. And I was going to end here, but I want to add. Don't be afraid of getting some bad feedback. Or should I say constructive feedback, right? 
Whenever somebody gives you a reflection or a piece of information about something you do and has an advice on how you can tweak it, how you can make it better, how you can improve upon it, you'd be a fool not to listen. If I bake the best cake that I think is possible and I go to my friend's house and I take a bite of theirs and I go, your cake has something even better than mine does. It would behoove me to then ask, what did you put in this cake? Why am I asking? Not so I can judge them, not so I can out them to Betty Crocker, but so I can do that same thing when I make my cake. It's the same thing in the classroom. When you see your colleagues doing something really, really good, pay attention to what it is they're doing, how they're doing it, Ask them about it and then use it because a teacher's bag of tricks can never be too big. So after we recover from this pandemic, if we ever recover from this pandemic, what I'd like to say is our colleagues are a big source of information They are one of the best resources in my toolkit. Don't be afraid to reflect on what you do, your craft, and how you can sharpen it, hone it, to make it even better than it was before we left. I'm McBreezy from Classrooms in Compton. I hope to have you guys here next time. Have a brave day.